Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Real Forno Show. On today's episode, we have SB Nation's JP Acosta joining us to talk about defensive tackles. It's a very interesting group, especially at the top, and as you get farther down, there are a lot of questions about these guys, especially in terms of size. We're going to talk all about it, probably throw in a few anime references and just have a good time. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Managing editor of the USA Today's Vikings Wire. Betting and college football analysis for the Fantasy Points website. Publisher of Substack Run and Shooter. Host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, as well as a founding member of Vikings First and Skull. Welcome. We're going to have some fun here today as uh, on the other end of the tin cannon string, we have the anime aficionado and the proud owner of a beautiful Chili's hat. His name is J.P. Acosta of SB Nation. The writer, uh, I, I can't remember what... Um, Establish the fun. That is your article series, which is one of my my favorites every single season. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, man. This is exciting. I get to be on with you talking football. Anime aficionado. I might have to add that to my bio. That's a, that's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. That's that's a pretty hard title. Not not only is it a hard title, it also has alliteration, which just makes it all the better. I'm just a sucker for good alliteration. Oh yeah, you know we're both pro wrestling fans. You know the alliteration gets the people going. Yep, same thing with John Cena sucks. That Both of those things just get the wrestling fans rocking and rolling. Let's start with this defensive tackle class, because, JP, it's a very interesting one. Um, and we have to start with the elephant in the room and Jalen Carter. 
Jalen Carter is the number one player on my board based on the film. And you can talk about, hey, you want to put quarterback X or Y in there. You want to put Will Anderson. Okay, that's fine. Then he's, in theory, a top five player and should be on everybody's board when it comes to the film because he's that dominant. But it's not all about the film with him anymore. It's about the off-field stuff, the arrest for reckless driving, and how that was potentially linked to the death of his teammate and a trainer, um, and how he handled the pre-draft process, gained nine pounds between the combine and his pro day, and couldn't even finish his pro day workouts. Reports from Todd McShay about him having poor character, not being a great teammate, and everybody victory lapping McShay when that, that arrest stuff happened at the combine, which... We can talk about how that was very convenient timing. Um, I thought it was a bunch of crap because they were two completely different things. Um, when it comes to Carter, based on the information we have, because that's really all we can go off, we, we're we not sitting there talking to Carter and his teammates and having these intricate, detailed conversations to try and understand what's going on behind the scenes. How are you contextualizing this and how is what we know impacting his draft stock for you? Yeah, so I think... A lot of that goes hand in hand in terms of contextualizing who is Jalen Carter and what is he when it comes to the NFL. I think a lot of why he's had such a bad pre-draft process is because of everything that has happened. I mean, when you're potentially booked and charged in reckless driving that was linked to potentially being a cause of death of one of your best friends and a trainer on the team, that could be a very traumatic experience. He was going through the pro day. He was it looked like he was kind of just going through the motions. He just had to be there because he said he was going to be there, you know? And I think that's really due to the ultimate pre-draft process where he just, he's just been out of it. He's been out of it. He only did, I think he only weighed in at the combine. I don't even think he did interviews at the combine. I don't think he's talked to anybody at all. He's only, he's done pre-draft visits, but they've only been with top 10 teams. And that's kind of a sign where he's thinking, I'm, I'm going to go into the top 10 regardless, but this has been a very, very weird pre-draft process for him, and it's kind of taken away from what we've seen on tape, which is a game record. But you have to contextualize. You have to add in everything. You have to make it a whole – it, it's going to be involved in the process, and it should be, but it's been, it's been unfortunate for him because of how everything has played out. And the, and the timing of all of it. No, I think the timing is really, really interesting because the Athens department decided literally 20 minutes before he was supposed to give interviews that they were going to issue this arrest warrant of something that happened at the beginning of January, or sorry, the end of January. So it's not like they ha- they didn't have any time to issue a warrant, which, look, it was reckless driving. They interviewed him at the scene probably should just give it to him then. And you can always drop the charges later. It just everything unfortunate, but where do you still see Carter going in this draft? Um, is top five feels like it might not happen. And there have been mock drafts that have even sent him to the Vikings at 23, which I still think is insane considering when you contextualize how NFL front offices view off the field stuff, a reckless driving does not seem to be very high on the priority list for pushing players down the board. So honestly, I think the furthest he falls is probably 10. 
to Philadelphia. I think he's going to be a top 10 player regardless. If you watch the tape, he is a game wrecker, the literal definition of a game wrecker. The power, the explosion in the short areas, his hand technique is still very refined for a guy that his that's his age. And when you think about it, that 2021 Georgia defense, he was probably the best player on that defensive line, and that team included a number one pick. So he, on on film, on the tape, you see the explosion. You see the ability to just gain, just end games, end drives by himself. So I think anywhere, honestly, from Seattle at five to Philly at 10 is where he's going to end up going. I mean, worst case scenario he falls to New England at 14, but I don't. I really don't see that happening. Gosh, if he, if he ends up falling to 14, that would honestly be a huge get for Bill Belichick, and we know how much he loves to draft athletic freaks at defensive line. He's been doing it for the better part of two decades with the Patriots. But after him, it's a very interesting group. And one guy I want to start off with, is a, a guy that we currently have slated at edge, but that's Miles Murphy. And he's 6'5", he's over 270, he pl- he plays like a 5-tech. And I I want your opinion on if he could maybe transition into a Cam Hayward type role, where he adds on about 20 extra pounds and he can really use that physical dominance to play a really hard edge in an odd front. So I think that's really interesting. I think Miles Murphy's frame is one that you can put what, put good weight on. I think yeah. he hasn't maxed out his frame. He's still very lean, especially in the upper body and especially in his, through his legs. You can add a, a little bit of weight on there, make him a pretty good five tech. I think for me, when I what I saw when I was watching Miles Murphy was I saw a souped up Danico Autry, and Danico Autry is a very good player in my opinion. I think. Miles Murphy does everything well, but nothing superb, which is kind of why he's fallen behind guys like Nolan Smith. He's fallen behind guys like Lucas Van Ness, but he's a real solid run defender. He can get after the passer on occasion. I think he's still developing a good counter move, but he can be a guy where you can potentially slide him in at five tech in an odd front. I think if you play a one gap scheme where he you just let him go, you can, he can use that speed to basically dominate against guards, and then you can kick him out maybe over over a tackle on early downs. You can slide him outside early downs, kick him in on passing downs. That's really that's really an interesting thing about Miles Murphy. I, I hadn't thought of that, but now thinking about his frame, that's something an NFL team could possibly covet. A guy who was on the outside, but you bulk him up, you move him in, you see if he can still has that speed and burst, and you basically have a game wrecker on the inside now. Because mm-hmm. I think the one thing with Murphy is he doesn't have phenomenal bender on the edge. He kind of wins a lot with inside moves. He wins with power. He kind of likes to use the long arm a little bit. And he's not the one that likes to use it the most. I think Isaiah Foskey uses a long arm about more than just about anybody uses anything in his class. But the idea of utilizing him in a versatile fashion, and that's kind of where we transition to with his teammate, Brian Brissy, where Brissy hyper-athletic just like Murphy, but dealt with the torn ACL uh, in game four of 2021 and hasn't really quite met those expectations because he was the 20th overall recruit in the history of 24-7 composite. Brissi looks to me, and I mocked him in the mock draft we did on Monday night on the Real Forno show with uh, a few of our buddies, and 
I thought that he would be a great replacement for Cam Hayward. But I also think he could be really successful in an even front as a three technique, and then you can move him to nose on passing downs. What are your thoughts on Brissy and how he translates to the next level? So for Brissy, it's really weird. I mean, I think for me, if you want to see the best of Brian Brissy, you go to 2021. You just don't look at 2022, coming off the injury, coming off of his sister passing away. That's that's It was a really rough year for him on and off the field. That's something that you have that you take into account when you watch him play. But for Brzee, the first thing that stands out is just the natural explosion. He just mm-hmm. overwhelms mm-hmm. guards with his burst, with his speed. The, it, the athleticism matches up on the tape. He's still working through a little bit of, you see the hand technique a little bit, but you don't see it consistently. But you see the burst. You see the explosion. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Darnell Dockett. A throw, that's a throwback, a Darnell Ooh. Dockett. Big, okay. big dude. He's got he's big, strong, 6'5", 315. He's got shorter arms, but he makes up for that by getting into the chest of guards so quickly. And I think he would be perfect in a one-gap scheme, whether it be as a five-tech where he's just crashing or as a three-tech where he's dominating against opposing guards and passing downs. You can move him all over the front. Clemson had him rushing outside on the edge, and I thought he looked pretty good there. I wouldn't have him there full time, but Brzee is a guy where I think we still have yet to see the best of him, but some team is going to get a real good player late in the first round. Oh, I think so too. And I, I really think that the Vikings could be an interesting fit for him too. And that's one of the reasons why we're talking today is because this is a Viking centric show. He would be a fascinating option because the Vikings Their best defensive lineman, you could argue, is Dean Lowry. And while Dean Lowry is a fine player, he he does not give you any type of true ceiling that you want. And it's just a bunch of dudes that just play good football. And there's really no game records. I think that could be a really intriguing option for Minnesota if they don't go quarterback. Yeah, I think he offers, Brzee offers such a different style of defensive tackle than the Vikings have right now. He is much more of a... He's not going to win with pure strength and power. He's winning with explosion. He's winning with lateral quickness, and he's winning with his first step. That's something you really don't see with what the Vikings have on the interior. It could also help guys like Zadari Smith and, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name, Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter. There you Man, go. It's, been long, it's been a long draft season, but he, he could help. With Brazil and Minnesota, he could really help those guys too because by getting pressure up the middle, up through the interior, it's going to feed out. It's going to filter out to those guys. So that's really – Brazil is a really nice fit in Minnesota, especially in Brian Flores' defense where they are much more one-gap predicated. You get on the line and you go. You go as hard as you can. Brian Brazil would be a perfect fit there. One of the other guys that I'm very intrigued about in this – first round is Pittsburgh's Kalaja Kansi. He is a baby in the middle, but he's an explosive baby and he, he he's great as a looper on stunts. He's incredibly quick and penetrating, but he can get washed away real easy with some of those bigger guys just because he only weighs 280 pounds and he doesn't display like a freakish amount of strength. Like somebody he gets unfairly compared to in Aaron Donald one, because Aaron Donald was also a small defender. Two, he also played at Pitt. Uh, so mm-hmm. you, you saw those comparisons with Jalen Twyman, and now you're seeing them with Kansi. 
Kevin Fielder, one of our friends, wrote an article for Vikings Wire, which I recommend you all checking out, uh, advocating a potential move to edge could end up maximizing him if he were to play for the Minnesota Vikings. So I ask you this, how would you utilize him in the NFL? Because right now, he, at least initially, he's only a third down pass rush specialist because of his size. So Kalijah Kansi is a very interesting player. He is built like Gimli from Lord of the Rings. He, he's, not, <laughs> he's not that tall. He's not that long. He, but he's got such good twitch and bend and explosion. It's very rare for guys playing on the interior to have the bend and the twitch that he does. But I do think there's some merit to potentially moving him to the edge where you don't really have to worry about his size and his frame. That's the biggest thing. It's not just the weight. It's the frame. He has a small frame. Aaron Donald did not have a small frame. There is growth there in terms of adding strength. I don't know if you can add much more onto Kalijah Canty's frame. We'll see, but I'm, I'm still very unsure about that. But there is some merit to having him out on the edge. I do worry about the arm length out there. He only has, what, I think it's like 30, 31-inch arms. Very, very short. But the natural twitch and bend as a pass rusher, you don't find that very often as an interior guy. I think right now he is a designated pass rusher on the interior. I, I still think he'll probably be best as a three-tech in a 4-3, but there is some merit to potentially having him out on the edge. So one thing with Cansey and his size is I think he would be great next to a really big nose. And I think that's why the fit with Philadelphia is so intriguing because you have literally the biggest football player in what feels like the history of the NFL outside of Daniel Falele in Jordan Davis right next to him, 6'6", 345, and is going to be able to eat up a lot of blockers to give Kalijah can't see some room on the inside. Do you think he really needs that at the next level, or is he going to be able to develop enough as a run defender where you can use him as a three-down player? I think you got to come. I think you got to help him out. Some. I think I help him out as a run defender. I think you have to give him another guy next to him that'll eat up blockers, eat up space. You think of another team, possibly. You think of Cincinnati. You put him next to DJ Reader, who is another massive human being. You need to basically create that Keanu Reeves meme where there's like big Keanu Reeves and then tiny Keanu Reeves. Kalijah Kansi's the tiny one. Jordan Davis is the big Keanu Reeves. You need to recreate mm-hmm. that meme on the interior of your defense. I do think you, you're going to have to help him out in the run game. You have to give him another guy where he, you can basically say, you only have to control this gap, play the pass, get forward, get vertical. Don't worry about playing the run. You will play the run as you try and go get the quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see where he falls because you don't see a lot of teams playing like that now. But it'll be interesting to see where he goes and who they end up pairing him with. I do like the Philly pairing with Jordan Davis just because unlike from a general fan perspective, that'd be really funny to see. Kalijah can't all 270 pounds of Kalijah can't see next to the mountain of Jordan Davis. That would be absolutely hilarious. It would, it, it would be really f- intriguing to see. Plus, Philadelphia just understands how to build in the trenches, so that, in theory, would be a great home for him. Let's talk about some nose tackles here. Um, this is a really weird nose tackle class, and the two that get the most attention 
are Michigan's Mozzie Smith, who is an absolute athletic freakazoid, and Baylor Siaki Ika, who is the exact opposite and feels like a jello mold in comparison. Uh, how do you look at these two guys? Because on t- on tape, Ika looked like he was an athletic guy, but then tested just abysmally bad. And Mozzie Smith was Bruce Feldman's number one freak on the freaks list last year. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to get there with Mozzie Smith. I mean, you see the athletic potential. You see it, but you don't see it consistently. He is so inconsistent when it comes to being layoff snap. I think his pad level gets really high sometimes, and that just takes him out of out of the pass rush, out of the game generally. I think he's still developing a pass rush plan. But the athletic traits, man, you you don't find guys that, that really move like Mozzie Smith does. And then Siaki Ika, in one of my pieces I wrote for SB Nation, comparing NFL draft prospects to things that don't have anything to do with the NFL or their players. I compared him to Blastoise, but now that I'm thinking about it, I, now that I'm thinking about it, he might be a little more Snorlax, where he's he is a big man and he is very hard to move. He is... And, mm-hmm. The thing about Siaki Ika is he flashes that lateral quickness that you don't see at all when you watch him athletically. Like, you see lateral quickness sometimes. You see the change of direction that just was not there at all when it comes to testing. Like, it's – you say abysmal. It's really it's really bad. But I, it's, I struggle with Siaki Ika because you see it on tape, but then you wonder, like, hey, is this just – him dominating 18 and 19 year olds. And when you go have to go up against grown men, this is not going to translate. But with Mozzie Smith, you know, the athletic tools are going to translate. It's just about building him into more of a football player. Yeah, I would agree. I think Mozzie Smith presents an interesting dynamic for teams, really prioritizing athleticism versus necessarily production. And another guy that you're basically going to do the same thing with is Florida's Gervon Dexter. Uh, really big football player, 6'6", 310, shows a lot of explosiveness. But it looked like he just kind of disappeared. And I guess, for lack of a better term, like Florida went through some turmoil over the course of his college career, especially um, with Todd Grantham as his defensive coordinator, which is basically putting a guy in hell and telling him to try and water the garden. Um, he... Very explosive athlete, but how do you contextualize him? Because that that's another one where it gets a little murky. Yeah, so Florida is really, really weird. All the Florida prospects outside of maybe Osiris Torrance, very weird to evaluate because of how their season went. You know, transitioning from a defense from Ty Grantham to Patrick Tony, those are two completely different flavors of how you want to play defense, especially up front. Javon Dexter is not a two-gapping tackle. He's not He's not going to be that. I think he is too tall. I think he plays too high. And he he's late off the ball. But he makes up for being late off the ball by being really explosive. You see the explosion. I think he is a perfect three, three technique. I think you can possibly play him in a one-gap as a one-gap five. It's just weird for the Florida prospects because – you know, you could tell they were trying to transition themselves out of being a one-gap aggressive front to, oh, now I got a two-gap. Now we're going to play the run on the way to the pass. That's Sometimes that's just not going to work for some players. Like uh, Coach Vass said it best, football is simple, made complicated by coaches. 
two gapping. Sometimes that's just not going to work for players. Sometimes you have to be like, hey, give him one gap and let him go. And that's what I really think you have to do with Gervon Dexter. You see the athleticism. At the pro day, that is a massive man. Like he's not he's not just tall. He is massively built. And he can move really well. You see the explosion. But the tape doesn't match up. But again, he's a little bit like Mozzie Smith where you see the athleticism. Now you got to try and turn him into a little bit more of a football player. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the key is turning him into a football player. A um, couple more guys, and then I'm going to let you go on a, a tangent because I'm going to give you the platform to talk about your king. Um, Keon White and Carl Brooks are two interesting prospects for kind of the same reason. They're edge guys that are probably best suiting playing on the interior in a long-term sense. Uh, they're, but they're also very different. How do you see those two guys, and do you think Keon White is worth a first-round pick? So Keon White is a very, very interesting player. Played tight end at Old Dominion for a season, was recruited as a tight end, switched defensive line, then transferred to Georgia Tech. We know Georgia Tech's just not that great. But he's such an interesting guy because when you look at him, you don't see 285. Like, we, we were in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. I kept asking, like, hey, are we sure Keon White is 285? He looks like 260. He is very well built, but at the same time, he's a little bit he's a little bit light through the lower body. That doesn't help him a lot when it comes to play strength in the run game. I worry about that because he's 285. Teams are going to try and kick him in on the interior as an interior run defender, and he's just going to get washed down because he's he's not a three tech. He's not a defensive he's not a defensive tackle. I think he is a strong side end who. It's funny. He is the perfect New Orleans Saint. These just this big, yes. long, strong dude that's on the outside, but he cannot play on the interior. He just doesn't have the lower body play strength. But he does have some very surprising bend and some. He flashes slight bits of refinement as a pass rusher that I really think are intriguing. I I don't think I would take him in the first round, but with the run on edge defenders that could possibly happen and with where the NFL is going in terms of who they want on the edge or on their defensive line, he could end up sliding into the back end of the first round. Like I said, New Orleans, perfect New Orleans Saint player. Carl Brooks is very different because Carl Brooks is a pass rusher. That is that is the most bona fide pass rusher I've ever seen at 303 pounds playing on the edge. He just has natural, he has a natural feel for pass rushers, like for rushing the passer. You know how you have those NBA players who are designated shooters, J.J. Redick. Carl Brooks is J.J. Redick when it comes to pass rushing. I think he is so refined. He's got great technique. He has counter moves. He was crushing everybody at the Senior Bowl when it comes to pass rush one-on-ones. But again, you worry about him in the run department. He doesn't show up in the run department in the interior. You also worry a little bit about the athleticism, the relative athletic score I don't think was that great. And what concerned me the most was the agilities. You didn't see the lateral quickness that you saw on film that you saw match up athletically. So the level of competition might be brought up, but that's a guy where, hey, we're going to trot you on as a designated pass rusher on third downs. We'll move you everywhere. You want to be on the edge, go for it. You want to be on the interior, let's try that. But I think I would not touch him before 
round three. I think round three might be his ceiling. And then going into day three will probably be where he probably ends up mid fourth, early fourth, mid fourth rounder. But some team's going to get a very good pass rusher from the interior. I, I, I love Carl Brooks and it's still an absolute travesty that he did not get an invite to the combine despite so being weird. a senior so guy. weird. So weird so, that he didn't get a combine invite. He could go top 100 not getting a combine invite. It just doesn't make any sense. All right. I want to talk to you about your boy. I know you're a Northwestern grad. Add it to Miwa. Add it to Ware. I knew I absolutely nothing about this guy going into the senior bowl. And once we got there, it was completely evident that this dude is just different. He is able to do a lot of different things. And he plays defensive end, but probably is best suited as a three technique or a four eye. Talk to me about your boy. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. All right, so I had to get a couple extra gulps of water because I'm I'm about to use a lot of breath here. This this is my guy, Adetangu Adibare. He played on the edge at Northwestern. They kicked him inside his senior year. And the first thing that stands out is he's not that tall. I think he's maybe 6'2", 6'1 half tops. But he combines that with 34-inch arms. His arms were longer than Andre Carter's. And Andre Carter is 6'6". He has the length. He has the strength, especially. His hands and his arms are strong. I, I shook his hand in Mobile. His hand was strong. He had amazingly strong grip, and he uses that in the run he, in the run game, ready-made run defender. The Ohio State game is perfect to watch. If you're an Adetamiwa Adibare fan, just owning guys in the run game. He's not overly tall. He doesn't use height to his advantage, but he uses leverage and torque where he can get under guys, and he uses that length to drive them back. It's a lot like, you know, <laughs> it's a lot like when you watch boxing or you watch MMA, you see guys who aren't that tall but have long reach. You ha- you know how they can use their length. They use their leverage to the advantage. And that's what Adetamiwa Adibare does. You worry a little bit because he doesn't really have a position. I had, he wants to play three tech. He, he said he's going to be a defensive tackle at the next level. He also ran a 4.49. I forgot to add that in. He ran a 4.49 at 282 pounds, which is bananas considering, like, you know how many receivers did not run 4.5? Adetamiwa Adibare ran a 4.49 while being 30 pounds heavier, maybe even like 80 pounds heavier than the best wide than the wide receivers. So 
you worry a little bit about where he's going to play. You worry a little bit about the pass rushing upside because he hasn't really shown consistently the ability to be a pass rusher. But what you get is a ready-made run defender. He's going to use his length and use his height. That's a disadvantage. He's going to use that length and strength to an advantage. I think he's probably best as a defensive tackle in the NFL. I think maybe a four-eye, maybe a, maybe a five and a three-four. But he's he's a real solid player. That's just a real solid guy. You're not going to have to worry about him in the run game. He's not going to get washed down a lot. That's He's a day two, perfect day two deep to tackle for a team that needs one. Yeah, I'm with you. I I would love to have him in purple, but the trade for TJ Hawkinson might make that a little impossible for the Vikings. And I, I think I can live with that. A couple more guys that I, I want your opinion on before we get out of here. Keanu Benton from Wisconsin, Zach Pickens from South Carolina, two different players and Pickens being kind of an athletic freak, former five-star, but he's probably somebody you're getting on day three where Benton, you might have to draft him top 50. Take us through those two guys and what, what they necessarily bring to your football team. So Keanu Benton is one of another one of those guys where, I think if you get him on day two, you're probably going to get a steal. That is a strong man with very strong hands. When we were down in Mobile doing pass, watching pass rush one-on-ones, he hits your chest, you are falling backwards. You can hear it when he hits pads with his hands. But he's, again, another one of those ready-made run defenders. He can play nose. I think he can play three-tech potentially. I don't think he has the pass rush chops to play three-tech full-time. But if you want to play him at nose in a 3-4 and a 4-3, he can do both of those. Like I said, he understands how to use leverage. He understands how to use his weight and create in the run game, not only for himself but for his teammates. He's shown a little bit of pass rush upside, but I don't think he's fully there yet. That's a true day two guy. I think, honestly, he'd be a really nice fit with the Vikings in terms of giving potentially one gapping. You can have him as the nose and just let him hold up blockers for everybody else to run. But Keanu Benton's a real, real solid player you can get on day two. Zach Pickens was interesting. I Going back after the Senior Bowl and watching some more South Carolina tape, the quickness stands out like it stood out in, in Mobile. The lateral quickness and the agility stands out. And I'm like, huh, this this kid's got some chops. This, kid, this kid's got some quickness to him that I didn't think he had. So it's really just... He's so inconsistent. I think the pad level gets real bad for him, and the strength at the point of attack in the run game is going to be an issue. But if you're looking for developmental three-tech, backup three-tech, I think that's where Zach Pickens fits best. I think if you give him, again, one gap and go, he'll probably be at his best. Yeah, I I think so too. This this honestly is a very interesting defensive line class, and – one thing that's really interesting about it is everybody's got a major question mark as far as fit. Like, how are you going to play this guy? Because a lot of them have size concerns. A lot of them have necess- don't necessarily have the right prototype. You have your nose tackles who they're pretty much set in stone. But like we talked about with Dexter, he was asked to do a lot of things that were weird of Florida. You have your Keon Whites and Adebowaris of the world who – are kind of tweeners. This is a an interesting class. Uh, how many of these guys do you think end up going in round one? 
So the interior defensive line round one, man, I think realistically, I think two. If we're counting Keon White as a defensive line, interior defensive line, maybe three. I think Brzee is going to end up going round one. He should go round one. Jalen Carter is a lock. Um, I don't see Mozzie Smith cracking round one. I don't see Adebare cracking round one, although it would be insane for Adebare to crack round one despite being a 6'1", 280-pound defensive tackle. Like that, that'd be pretty insane to me, but I, I think it's going to be two, two defensive tackles probably realistic. And I think this class kind of reflects where we're going or where we're at when it comes to playing defense at the college level and where we're going at the NFL level because you see a lot of guys playing in those tight fronts, playing the mint fronts where you don't necessarily have the job of being a designated pass rusher. Your job is to stop the run on the way to the pass. you got a lot of guys who are are stunters and denters on loops. They dent the pocket instead of bending around and – Really, that's to hold up the pot. You don't want to get to the quarterback. You want to kind of slow slow the timing. You want to make him hold the ball a little longer, and then we'll get to him. But we want to stop the run on the way to the pass. And you're starting to see a lot of that when it comes to the def- this defensive line class. Like we said with um, Keon White, he played a lot of 4-I. I don't think he's going to play 4-I at the NFL level. And he had to at Georgia Tech because that's how you get on the field. They were playing that tight front, so he's ending up – getting crushed by double teams weekly and you see like, hey, this guy probably doesn't have that ability because he doesn't have the play strength. Adabari played in a true blue 4-3 at Northwestern, but started on the outside and moved inside his senior year. So it really comes down to where the NFL is going when it comes to who, what body types they want on the defensive mm-hmm. line. And also where we're at when it comes to college football, the tight front is not going away. The mid front, definitely not going away. As long as Kirby Smart is running that with those banshees they have in Athens, the mid front's not going away. Saban's not going away. So it'll be interesting to see how teams evaluate these guys that come out of this defense and where they play at the NFL because it's becoming more of a hybrid league. We're seeing a lot more. Like in the NBA, where you have a bunch of these six, seven wings who can guard anybody, but don't necessarily have the ability to shoot. That's kind of like having a bunch of defensive linemen who know that stop the run and can dent the pocket, but nobody's got the J.J. Redick bend, bend around the corner pass rush ability. So it's really interesting to see, see it all develop. Football is very cyclical, and it's really fun seeing how this cycle is coming up now and how it's going to eventually come back around eventually. Mm-hmm. Hey, as as long as we don't have to see Will McDonald play a four eye consistently. Oh God. Just, yeah. Never. Um, I, Iowa state put him in hell and he could still end up going in the first round. JP, I greatly appreciate your time, my man. This every time I listen to you talk, I learn something. And somehow we got through this entire episode without a single anime reference. I'm honestly very surprised. Um, where can the people find you and your work and um, talk more about your your unique comps? Because I think that's that's one of one of my favorite things you do. Yeah, so you can find my work at SB Nation. I cover I'm the lead NFL draft writer. I cover college football and NFL. Like I said at the beginning, established the fun was something I started last year. Or basically, I just football is pretty fun. I like to establish that a lot, and we just talk about things that I think are fun. And the NFL at college football. I'm expanding that to college football this year. So 
It's going to be a lot of fun, no pun intended there. But with anime comps, that's something I I just do just off off the hoof. We were talking and immobile, and I was like, huh, Anatomical kind of reminds me of Graveler. And then we were like, yeah, we can see that. And I'm like, okay, I'll just write it. So it's it's been really fun. I compared Jalen Carter to Exodia, the Forbidden One from Yu-Gi-Oh. You have to collect all five of them, and then he just destroys your entire team. Um, who else did I say? That was really that was funny. I called Will Anderson the Attack Titan from Attack on Titan. There's the anime reference. You'll understand if you watch Attack on Titan. That is a that is a game ender. That is a game wrecker on the edge. And then, like I said, I have a bunch of a couple of pieces where I compare uh, NFL draft prospects to anime, video games. I called Joey Porter Jr. Sephiroth because he's just very tall and has very long arms, just like Sephiroth's sword. And yeah, you can find my find my stuff there. I'm doing a pretty cool feature story that should come out a little bit before the draft. And then I'm just going to be covering anywhere where football is. You'll probably find me. Fantastic. Dave, do you have anything for JP before we head out today? I want to thank JP for joining us today on this podcast only version of The Real Forno Show. And JP, you are 100% correct. I've said it for eons. Football is cyclical. What may be in fashion now, 20 years from now, will be out of fashion. And something we did 20 years ago will be back. And it's it's all it's it's fun to watch. Now, it will it be exactly what it was 20 years ago? No, there'll be some modifications, some tweaks, a little bit of here, a little bit of there, but it will be back in concept. And you're awesome to notice that already. That's cool. Thank you. Thank you. It's been something that I've talked about with Tyler, with all of our friends, just thinking about how the NFL, how football in general has gone around this cycle we've been where where we've been at before and like you said it may not show up the same way but it's going to come back around again and i think that's the best part because ideas continue to get filtered in filtered out i mean we'll prop maybe we'll see another sean mcveigh and this time instead of running outside zone play action he'll just run the triple option like paul johnson and we'll get an nfl team running the triple and now I think I I want to live long enough to see an NFL team run the triple option. Just the flex bone. Yeah, that's that's my new goal. I'm going to try and get an NFL team to run the flex bone. You got it. But, hey, you know what? A team can run the flex bone as soon as we bring back God's offense, the run and shoot. Let, let's let's just do both. Uh, hey, man, uh, June I'm, Jones I'm, killing it. June Jones killing the oh. XFL. We'll see. Yeah, so hey, so so is AJ Smith with the Roughnecks. I, I know they had a rough little stretch, but now they are now five and three, and they are sitting good going into the playoffs. A lot better than your unfortunate Guardians, my man. Oh, don't bring them up. We're talking about good football teams. <laughs> Let's not talk. Yes, about the we Guardians. are. And 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 with that, uh, that is our show today. Um, uh, big thank you again to JP from producer Dave and myself. One thing we always say at the end of the show: Skull Vikings. Skull Vikings. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell to get notifications. It helps us grow this community that we all love our Minnesota Vikings. And on behalf of Tyler Fornis and myself, Dave Stefano, thank you so dearly for watching The Real Forno Show. 
Skull, everyone!